0: Hello knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into The Doomsday Machine by Daniel Ellsberg, a compelling narrative that intimately chronicles the journey of one of the most significant whistleblowers in American history. Published in 2017, this book weaves together Ellsberg's transition from nuclear bomb academic to a leading figure in shaping the United States' national security policy. It offers a chilling examination of the development and deployment of nuclear weaponry and how humanity has repeatedly teetered on the brink of extinction due to these doomsday devices. Daniel Ellsberg, the author, is not just a writer, but a noted activist and former United States military analyst. His previous works include Secrets, a memoir of Vietnam and the Pentagon Papers, where he divulged influential but confidential information about the United States political and military conduct during the Vietnam War in 1971. Ellsberg's commitment to transparency and ethical governance underscores the urgency and the gravitas of this book's subject matter. The Doomsday Machine is ideally suited for modern history enthusiasts, fascinated by the intricate and often harrowing tales of war. Students of international relations along with those curious about the intricacies and evolution of U.S. nuclear strategy, will find this book to be a trove of insights. It's a must-read for anyone concerned with the balance of global power and the existential threats that nuclear arsenal poses to all life on Earth. Join us as we unpack the haunting truths and the cautionary tales ensconced within the pages of The Doomsday Machine. The Doomsday Machine. Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. Introduction. Discover the fragile line between safety and nuclear catastrophe. Picture a world teetering on the edge of total destruction, where safety and obliteration are separated by systems and decisions more precarious than you ever imagined. This unsettling reality is not the stuff of science fiction, it is the essence of what, The Doomsday Machine unveils about the true state of nuclear warfare potential and the myths that we've been led to believe. Often, the public is under the impression that the power to initiate nuclear war rests solely in the hands of one individual, the President of the United States. Accompanying him, the so-called nuclear football, a briefcase shrouded in mystery and fear, is thought to be the singular tool enabling a nuclear strike. But what if this imagery is just a fraction of the truth? As an expert entrenched in the defense mechanisms of the country, the author peels back the veneer to expose the intricate, often alarming mechanisms that make up the United States nuclear protocol. In this revealing journey, you'll find out how terrifyingly close humanity has come to its own undoing, by nuclear means the rationale behind the deterrence strategy and its precarious balance of power, and the underlying reasons why some of America's leaders continue to favor nuclear armament despite its inherent risks. Join us as we unravel the threads of one of the world's most potent and misunderstood forces through the eyes of someone who knows it from the inside. Part 1. Unraveling the Origins of Civilian Bombing Tactics The grim reality of modern warfare and its capacity for mass civilian casualties didn't emerge from the nuclear age alone. Tracing back to the 1930s, we witnessed the seeds of destruction being sown, seeds that would eventually grow into the looming specter of the Cold War's nuclear threats. But how did we reach a point where entire cities and their non combatant populations became targets in the violent chess game of war? Initially, European conflicts upheld a principle of just war, a doctrine that mandated the safety of innocents, ensuring warfare was confined to combatants. It was a line drawn in the moral sands of battle, but one that began to blur as technology advanced. The burgeoning capabilities of aircraft, namely, paved a dark new path. Aircraft development by the 1930s had reached a pivotal point, planes could now hold heavier payloads and travel previously inconceivable distances. This technological leap effectively turned civilians into targets, no longer shielded by geography or the tenets of just war. The new strategy was brutally simple, strike at the very heart of the enemy, disrupting the societal and economic foundations upon which they stood. The tragic story of Guernica stands as a stark representation of this shift. The bombing, rendered hauntingly in Picasso's famous painting, was more than just an attack. It was a message that all were fair game in the quest for supremacy. An estimated 1,000 civilians perished in flames, underscoring the destructive potential of strategic bombings. World War II would only escalate the disregard for civilian safety. Despite President Roosevelt's plea for restraint, city center bombings became a vicious tit-for-tat, with the Blitz and subsequent British retaliations writing new chapters of devastation. It was the United States, however, that would execute the deadliest single non-nuclear attack in history, scorching Tokyo and claiming 100,000 lives in one unforgiving night. These events, though occurring decades before the zenith of nuclear brinkmanship, exposed the terrifying vulnerabilities of civilian populations and set the precedent for the ruthless calculus of war, a calculus that would only grow more complex and more deadly with the advent of nuclear weapons. Part 2. An innocuous project with grave implications for the future. Imagine being just nine years old, your eyes wide with curiosity, not fully comprehending the ghastly images on the cinema screen, cities alight, lifeless bodies, destruction on an inconceivable scale. For young Daniel Ellsberg, These scenes of the London Blitz during World War II weren't just newsreels. They were the harbingers of a life irrevocably intertwined with the fate of global warfare. Fast forward a few years to the corridors of a school where a ninth grade Ellsberg pondered over an assignment on theoretical nuclear weapons. Despite the bomb's non existence at the time, speculation ran rampant in academic and fictional literature about the horrific potential of such devices. Drawing from these sources, Ellsberg and his peers sensed the horrifying imbalance such weapons could bring, the inherent instability, the susceptibility to misuse, and the catastrophic dangers posed to humanity. What Ellsberg pieced together in a classroom aligned with the grave discoveries of a cadre of scientists embroiled in the clandestine Manhattan Project. Among them was Leo Zillard, who inadvertently stumbled upon nuclear fission in 1939. That flash of energy on his oscilloscope carried an ominous sign, one that signaled the dawn of a new era, where the stakes of war soared to existential heights. As with many scientific endeavors of the time, the Manhattan Project was fueled by fear as much as curiosity, the nagging dread that, should they hesitate, a weapon of unimaginable power might fall into the hands of an unscrupulous enemy specifically Nazi Germany. Their goal was a noble one, to create a deterrent formidable enough to halt the ambitions of oppressive regimes. Little did they know, the bombs they forged would not only devastate Japan, but also ignite an arms race that sent tremors through the delicate power balance of a post-war world. Ellsberg, too, was swept up in the zeitgeist of his era, molded by the pervasive Cold War propaganda Stark images and grim warnings of the Soviet Union's post war expansion anchored his belief that preventing other nations from acquiring nuclear capabilities was paramount. It was a path that led Ellsberg to delve deeper into nuclear strategy, particularly the prevailing concept of deterrence. As we turn the page to the next chapter, we explore the complex and often murky waters of nuclear deterrence a precautionary tale that would guide Ellsberg on an unpredictable journey through the annals of Cold War policy and beyond. Part three, a young analyst amidst the gathering storm of nuclear tension. In a time when Cold War tensions were not just simmering, but threatening to boil over, a young and bright Daniel Ellsberg took up a role at the Rand Corporation. This think tank Tasked with crafting strategies for the United States Air Force, was at the epicenter of defense research, a hub where the sharpest minds contemplated scenarios that ranged from the strategic to the apocalyptic. Imagine the burden of knowledge, understanding that your intellectual pursuits could either contribute to humanity's salvation or hasten its demise. It was here, amidst this crucible of geopolitical chess, that Ellsberg encountered the paradox of his craft. Save the world by designing the blueprint for its destruction. The guiding principle was deterrence, an unsettling axiom positing that the best way to prevent a nuclear clash with the Soviet Union was by preparing for one. In this high-stakes game, if your adversary knows that aggression will result in mutual obliteration, the hope was they would refrain from the first strike. Ellsberg's indoctrination into the world of deterrence coincided with a series of alarming developments. Merely four weeks into his new role, the United States was buzzing with reports of Soviet advancements in missile technology, landmarks that no longer belonged solely in the realm of nightmares but could be realized in a matter of minutes. With the launch of Sputnik, the Soviets didn't just beat the United States into space, they demonstrated an ability to launch intercontinental ballistic missiles. Weapons that could reach American soil within half an hour. The security blanket that once enveloped the United States, their geographic distance from traditional theaters of war, had been yanked away, leaving the nation exposed to a hitherto unfathomable degree of vulnerability. For Ellsberg, the complex weave of deterrence took on a new clarity. It wasn't just theoretical, it was a potential savior. Yet, as he would come to realize, the stability promised by the logic of deterrence was far from ironclad. The harrowing truth was that this strategy, like the nuclear arsenal it sought to control, was fraught with uncertainty. Part 4. Inside the troubling realities of the U.S. nuclear command system. Imagine delving into the heart of the ultimate weapons control system. Expecting to uncover a labyrinth of checks and balances, only to find a structure more vulnerable to human error and haste than anyone outside the inner sanctum could guess. This was the jarring revelation that confronted Daniel Ellsberg as he submerged himself in the intricacies of America's nuclear launch protocols. Devoting upwards of 70 hours each week, poring over classified documents, Ellsberg was struck by a concerning truth. The system, designed with the primary objective to react instantaneously to the command to launch, seemingly sidelined the equally critical need to recognize and rectify false alarms. In this high-speed construct, the launch of a nuclear weapon could happen precipitously, with or without the President's endorsement. The safeguards in place told a reassuring tale on paper. A two-person rule ostensibly underpinned the system, Requiring split codes housed in separate envelopes and necessitating dual consent for launch. But the veil of security thinned upon closer inspection. Practicality, or rather the fear of inertia in the face of a surprise assault, had twisted the two man rule into a form where it could easily be circumvented. There was another startling lapse the absence of a robust stop mechanism. Once the command was issued and nuclear forces were set in motion, the authority to call them back was non-existent. Not even the president, traditionally viewed as the sole custodian of nuclear authority, could reverse the course once a bomber was skybound. The more he uncovered, the less fictional the scenario of a doomsday seemed to Ellsberg. The potential for accidental annihilation, for a miscalculated move to spiral into a nuclear nightmare, revealed that the system which held humanity's fate was perilously fallible. And it was this chilling insight that sowed the seeds of doubt in Ellsberg's mind about the entire strategic framework governing nuclear arsenals. Part 5. Charting a Safer Course in the Face of Nuclear Authorization Realities plagued by the discovery of the ease with which nuclear war could be initiated Ellsberg embarked on a quest for truth and certainty. He aimed to verify the prevailing belief that only the President of the United States held the power to unleash nuclear hellfire. His investigation unearthed startling realities. In 1959, it came to light that President Eisenhower had discreetly authorized Admiral Harry Felt, stationed a world away in Hawaii the authority to launch nuclear weapons should communications with the mainland collapse, an unsettling precedent which suggested that the power to deploy the most devastating weapons known to man could be devolved. But the web of delegated responsibility extended far beyond a solitary admiral. A slew of high-ranking officers, a dozen or more four-star generals, and a surprising number of three-star officers bore similar heavy burdens. The power to initiate nuclear war, it appeared, could cascade down the chain of command, and it was precisely this kind of systemic gap that sent ripples of concern through Ellsberg's conscience. Determined to rectify the situation, he presented his findings to the upper echelons of government. The response was a mix of shock and denial. Even Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara grappled with the implications of what Ellsberg conveyed. Commissioned with the weighty task of drafting a new national security policy, Ellsberg proposed a triad of reforms aimed at tempering the apocalyptic potential of the current system. His vision was one of restraint and structure. Firstly, institute a no-cities strategy for the unthinkable event of nuclear engagement, targeting military rather than civilian sites to dissuade Soviet retaliation against populated areas. Secondly, Shelter and safeguard the reserve forces to ensure a surviving command capable of de-escalating hostilities, with the hope of preventing a total slide into nuclear abyss. and finally, introduce a stop command, a failsafe that would permit the cancellation of a nuclear launch, should the initial "GO" have been the result of miscalculation or error. In May 1961, President Kennedy's administration ratified Ellsberg's proposals reshaping the United States' approach to nuclear warfare. Amidst the shadows of the Cold War, Ellsberg's contributions were instrumental in weaving a new thread of restraint into the fabric of nuclear strategy, a step back from the brink, guiding a world fraught with the specter of total annihilation toward a path of calculated caution and conscious control. Part 6. Envisioning the Unthinkable the grim toll of a first-strike nuclear war. In the precarious balance of Cold War power, Daniel Ellsberg's efforts to inject a measure of sanity into nuclear policy were only a bulwark against an ever-present threat. The arms race charged forward unabated, with new, more destructive weaponry developed and military doctrines that soberly contemplated the incineration of cities. Amidst this arms build-up, Ellsberg was exposed to the stark potential aftermath of a first-strike scenario, a preemptive nuclear assault by the United States against the Soviet Union and its Warsaw Pact allies. This was not merely an exercise in war gaming. It was a glimpse into a possible future so bleak it dwarfed all previous reckonings of conflict. The staggering cost of a first strike was laid bare to Ellsberg through a document intended solely for the president's eyes. In the immediate aftermath of this hypothetical strike, the death toll in the USSR and China was projected at 275 million. Within six months, that number would climb to 325 million, and across the whole of Europe another 200 million lives would be snuffed out, the majority being civilians. This stupefying human cost did not even take into account the retaliatory strikes from the Soviets. When factoring in the inevitable counterpunch, the global death toll could spiral into an abhorrent one billion souls, one-third of the world's population at that time wiped from existence. But there was an even more horrifying aftermath that was yet to be fully comprehended. The long-term ecological catastrophe known as nuclear winter. First posited in the 1980s, it emerged that the firestorms from a large-scale nuclear war would belch enough soot into the atmosphere to shroud the earth in darkness for a decade. With the sun obscured, a global famine would ensue, likely condemning the remaining two thirds of humanity to a slow death by starvation. In the haunting specter of such a doomsday machine, the harrowing truth was laid starkly clear. The very arsenals built by the United States and the Soviet Union, with the intention of deterring war, also harbored the capacity to end all human life. It was from this somber realization that the true scale of the nuclear peril was appreciated and the imperative for change became an existential mandate. Part seven, on the brink of oblivion, the Cuban Missile Crisis and its Narrow Escape. In the shadow of an escalating space race and weapons proliferation, A chilling chapter unfolded during the October of 1962, bringing the world precariously close to nuclear annihilation. The United States, having uncovered the Soviet Union's clandestine deployment of medium-range nuclear weapons in Cuba, responded with a maritime cordon, determined to halt the advance of armaments so near its shores. This blockade set the stage for the Cold War's most fraught confrontation, a deadly impasse exhibiting the full force of superpower rivalry. Reacting to the stakes at hand, the United States military escalated to DEFCON two, scrambling 1,500 strategic bombers into a state of high alert, a first in the annals of history. The specter of global warfare loomed, with humanity's fate hinging on the decisions of two men, President Kennedy of the United States and Premier Khrushchev of the Soviet Union. Through a confluence of diplomatic efforts and sheer resolve, a crisis that teetered on the edge of the abyss was averted. The missiles were withdrawn from Cuba, and the world breathed a collective sigh of relief. Yet, within this grand narrative of political chess lies a lesser-known but equally crucial tale of a lone Soviet submarine officer's valour, dubbed The Man Who Saved the World. Vasily Arkhipov's name is etched in history for his pivotal act of restraint. His Soviet counterparts aboard a submarine, cut off from communication with Moscow and fearing an attack by the U.S. blockade, were poised to launch a nuclear torpedo. It was Arkhipov's dissenting voice, insisting on adherence to Moscow's directives, that quashed the potential trigger for a nuclear holocaust. The crisis— though ultimately diffused by the upper echelons of government, had perilously dangled the fate of humanity on the decision of a single military officer. While Kennedy and Khrushchev sought to resolve the standoff without resorting to nuclear war, even at the cost of concessions, Ellsberg's reflection on the event underscores a haunting truth. The mechanisms of command and control in nuclear warfare are not infallible shields preventing disaster. As the echoes of the Cuban Missile Crisis fade into history, complacency becomes a dangerous luxury. The lingering threat of nuclear confrontation endures, a ghostly presence eternally requiring vigilance lest we again come face to face with a doomsday device at the hands of mere mortals. Part 8 Mobilizing for a World Beyond the Shadow of Doomsday Weapons The uneasy lull that followed the Cold War. Saw a decrease in the likelihood of a nuclear winter, yet the persistent existence of such a risk, no matter how slim, is an affront to our collective security. It stirs within us an imperative to rally against the continued presence of doomsday devices, that indomitable arsenal of the United States and Russia capable of catapulting civilization into a catastrophic tailspin from just a single misstep, be it a technical glitch or a terrorist attack. The endeavor to neutralize this threat isn't about the total abolition of nuclear arms, an idealist's dream. It's about dismantling the specific mechanisms that enable instantaneous hair-trigger responses, those that propel us toward mutual destruction at a moment's notice. Such a dismantlement wouldn't erase the prospect of a limited nuclear exchange, but it would drastically diminish the chances of a nuclear winter sparing humanity from complete annihilation. The keystone of this mission is the public's grasp of the perils we face. People must understand the grave implications of nuclear warfare, particularly the nuclear winter scenario, to call for the deactivation of these apocalyptic instruments. This will necessitate a concerted effort to lobby lawmakers and international entities to probe into the nuclear strategies that keep us on the brink. In raising awareness, we might catalyze those with knowledge of national war plans to step forward. Transparency has the potential to fuel a collective outcry, impelling the electorate to urge their governments to renounce their nuclear arsenals. Tackling the machinery of doomsday is a formidable challenge, perhaps as insurmountable as any humanity has ever faced. The political inertia within the United States is buttressed by bipartisan defense of the status quo. Patriotic sentiment and the powerful military-industrial complex are formidable adversaries to change. Yet, when reflecting on the moments in history where the unthinkable happened, like the peaceful disintegration of a superpower or the dismantling of an entrenched system of discrimination, we are reminded of the potency of collective will. These moments stand as testaments to our capacity as citizens to confront, challenge and ultimately transform systems that once seemed as enduring as the mountains themselves. In the face of potential doomsday, this ability to change the course of history must be embraced and mobilized. It is the beacon of hope that guides us toward a future where the specter of nuclear catastrophe is banished and humanity can thrive unshadowed by existential dread. Final summary. In the penetrating gaze of Daniel Ellsberg, a former U.S. nuclear systems analyst, lies the sober revelations of the doomsday machine. Once an architect of the system, he would grow to question. Ellsberg unearths troubling truths about the nuclear strategies once thought to preserve our safety but may, in fact, hold the potential to end our world. Ellsberg's tenure at Rand revealed to him the frailties within the very fabric of nuclear doctrine the theory of deterrence, where flaws ran deep. Shockingly, authority to launch nuclear strikes was not the sole purview of the President, but could be delegated down the chain of command, placing immense power in the hands of relatively low-ranking officers. The safeguards we assumed were in place, non-existent, creating a scenario where a misguided command could set into motion an irrevocable march towards destruction. His experiences laid bare the stark reality that these policies were not merely defense postures. They were gambits that risked the very existence of humanity, and the weapons in question nothing short of doomsday machines. Today, these mechanisms of Armageddon linger, veiled from public scrutiny. It's only through increased awareness and a collective call to action that we stand a chance of dismantling these devices and securing a future free from the miasma of nuclear threat. As Ellsberg's insights illuminate, the survival of our species may depend on our willingness to confront and deactivate the doomsday machinery once conceived as a guardian, but now understood as a harbinger of potential catastrophe.